Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. This is usually the point where I I say hello to Henrietta, um, but Henrietta is not with us this week. Uh, she is unfortunately on medical leave, and uh, please keep her in your thoughts as she is on her way to recovery, and she will definitely be rejoining us on this podcast soon. In the meantime, however, I will be having a series of conversations with, uh, with industry veterans who can offer perspective on the legacy industry as well as their chroniclers of the current upended climate in fashion. And to that end, my guest this week is stylist, image maker, Memzor Kamerike. Hello, Memzor. Are you there? I am here. How are you, sir? I'm very, I'm well this morning. I certainly miss, I certainly miss Henrietta um, for on this episode. This is the, this episode that I'm, I'm doing by myself for the first time. But I must say, though, this is, this makes sense because you were the, you were the conversation that we were supposed to have about five weeks ago before Henrietta got sick. And so in many ways, this feels like a, a continuation. So this, we were to have a conversation with you. This is a long time coming. I, so long time very no, I, I, I'm very happy to be here and I do really want to send my wishes out to her. And I'm happy that I can still do this with, with you. It's almost like our little chats that we do regularly, but now the world gets to listen in. <laughs> and I'm I'm really glad you I'm really glad you frame it you framed it like that, Mamazor, because we do have history. We have long history, in fact. And you were one of the you were one of the individuals that I wanted to speak to in this series, certainly to offer perspective about this industry. You know, we are we are in such an unprecedented place. And I feel like I need minds like yours, you know, someone who has really been there to to offer some vantage on what is going on, where we've been, where we currently are, and potentially where this industry may be going. So, without any further ado, let's just dive right into this, uh, right into this conversation, um, Memzor. And Memzor, why don't you tell our audience? You, you're, you can better define, you know, what you do. Tell our audience what that is you do. I say you're a stylist, but you're much more than that, of course. Well, it's actually funny. I was thinking about that, and was we never discussed. The best part about this interview is that I literally didn't prepare because I was like, it's just going to be the normal conversation we have. And I was like, oh, how's he going to introduce me? And I really am just Memsor. I call myself a stylist. All these fancy titles. Every so often, if there's a job I'm trying to secure, I might say I'm a creative director, but I just like being a stylist. I don't need to inflate my title to... I do the same thing, (laughs) no matter what I do. (laughs) Tell me what you want, just call. (laughs) (laughs) And I understand that we're in the age of multi-hyphenation, and so, you know, it usually comes with (laughs) with myriad roles. So I've cast models, I've cast shows, I've just all of this, told models how to walk, just there's so much, but it's just, I'm a stylist. I love that title. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's let's just get right into it, Memzool. We have, uh, as, as uh, on the onset of this uh, conversation, we said that we have we have history, and we have history navigating the fashion capitals. We've 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 flown through Paris, Milan, London, and the cities, and really have we've been we've been witness to fashion history. We were there during that time, 
Now, do you miss those halcyon days of zipping around Paris with our favorite driver? <laughs> the, <laughs> what was that driver's name again, Menzo? Antoine. You know, driving around Paris with Antoine and you know, hit, hitting the shows and all the dining and all that, all that perceived fabulosity of of the fashion industry that people people think about. Do you do you miss those days? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I do. It, it, you definitely, what's not to miss about having a car on the curb waiting for you for every move? What's not to miss about about running? Like, I was heading to Milan and Paris. I was there like four times a year because I was going for both men's and women's shows when I was the fashion director at Vibe and even a few years after that. So I loved the going out there and obviously getting away from New York, change of scenery. You know how New York is when you're in it, you're in it and you it starts to wear on you. And then the minute you step away from it, you miss it and want to come back. So it was nice to kind of change things up every so often. But I think that definitely I loved more than just the actual shows. It was the human interaction and the human connection. Like you and I have a vast network of friends across the world. So going to the shows and connecting with industry peers that you wouldn't see all the time and having those conversations, those dinners, I think that that's the part I missed the most. It was like the cross-pollination of ideas. So I have a different point of view. You have a different point of view, different experiences. And we get together, talk, sometimes argue, but you leave refreshed and rejuvenated. And it's kind of like everything's been given a shake up. So that's the part I miss perhaps the most. Obviously, staying at hotel costs four times a year <laughs> on someone else's time. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> but I think also, like, as... as you alluded to, we got to see creativity up close and personal. And I think that uh, going to a, a Alexander McQueen show is an event that you cannot forget. And we're seeing these people put their, their blood, sweat and tears. And not only do you see the shows and, and inspired by being there in the present, but going to the showrooms and, and seeing the clothes and seeing how well they're made and just seeing really just the industry at the very, like everyone sees the big bombast level, but I always like the minutiae and going in and seeing and turning the shoes over or turning the, the clothes inside out, that part. So suddenly you realize that not only is it the main designer, but all the, the hands behind the, the, the helped make the clothes and helped craft the, the bags. That's the part that I loved the most. Well, you know, from the outside in, everything looked fabulous. Everything was, you know, was grand and amazing. But as as <laughs> this period, as this period is showing us, you know, there was more than meets the eye. And we we knew it at the time. We knew it at the time as well. But there was definitely more than meets the eye back in that era. In hindsight, do you think that you were living a, a bit of a, an artifice? Or, or that doesn't, or they're two different sort of camps, if you will. Uh, uh, I mean, artifice in what, in what regard? I think, well, in that there was an industry that was filled with toxicity and, and not such, not such great people. But um, on the flip side of that, we're here living a fantastic life, still having access to certain things and, and, and participating in the industry, essentially. But knowing that there's a real toxicity that in many ways defined the industry at the time. Yes, I think definitely there was, you would be foolhardy not to recognize that there was that toxicity. But I think that I know I've operated and I operated then and still do to this day. I kind of have almost insulated myself with just my niceness and 
kindness and those are the folks I kind of tend to, in a sense, bubble wrap myself <laughs> with. <laughs> and I, so, yes, does it get punctured every so often? You know, the barbs are sharp and not the, the Nicki Minaj barbs. Don't come for me, kids. But I think that, <laughs> but I think that for me, it was always the idea. I had the time of my life, I was representing Vibe magazine, which at the time was culture busting. It's like culture creating and like literally was ripping the fabric of the culture and assembling it in different forms monthly. In fact, sometimes it was, do you know what I mean, with the limitations of print publications, printing three, putting together a magazine three months in advance, we could not keep up with the pace that culture was changing before our very eyes and that we were contributing to that change. So with that in mind, that's how I was going to, to Europe. I was there representing not only the readers of the magazine, but just uh, a culture that at the time I knew had a, a strong influence beyond our borders. So for me, seeing stepping out of a car and Literally, kids were running up to me, like, oh, you like Lev Jean? And I was like, no, I'm not like Lev Jean. More like Lauren Hill, who I stand for. <laughs> but I think that it was that thing where you had folks who, just even that alone, they could not understand the little boy who came and clutched my hand. He could only see me as a context of a musician or a rapper. So the idea that I was a fashion editor helping make change, that was what was what I focused in on. So I think that definitely pulling the lens out and seeing the toxicity and the seating charts and the, oh, you weren't invited to this show and, and speaking to your peers. And they're like, well, we're going to this show afterwards. You're like, well, I didn't get that invite. But I kind of let that roll off my, my back, really. And I stayed centered in my joy and my love for what I did. So that's really where I framed my reference. Well, you're referencing your, your time at Vibe. You were a fashion director at Vibe at a time when there was a recognized Black narrative in fashion. As you said, it was culture busting. You know, you were covering these um, uh, uh, Black musicians and putting them in high fashion clothing. Like this was a, this was a time where Black people were truly recognized in this business and they had publications that spoke to their issues and covered their issues and so forth. Now, looking at the racial reckoning that's currently taking place across the industry, how then does that era map against this era? This current era that we're in now? This current, <laughs> yes. This current era of reckoning, okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I think that for me, I know that I loved what we did at Vibe on a monthly basis, the idea of being able to shine a light on new upcoming talents. I remember putting, um, when Emil Wilbekin styled and put Ashanti on the cover, I remember the work that we did with Missy Elliott, Mary. And for us, it was just the idea that, hey, these are folks that we feel are worthy of covers that aren't being offered covers elsewhere and that were shaping the culture that, that I knew. Uh, I think that the idea of saying that Blacks had a recognized role, I mean, we had the magazine, but it was predominantly described as a music magazine. And, and sometimes that was, I felt a put down of sorts because it was like, okay, you're just that magazine there. Hence to deny you your proper seating as fashion director or deny you, um, oh, that's why we didn't reach out to you. Oh, we, oh, we didn't know you did fashion. So I think that 
the idea that every month an issue would come out and there would be conversations about it and you knew that the work you had done contributed to a larger conversation of the culture. I came through this industry and never really felt invisible to a certain extent. I had a place, I had a voice. And I found that, again, when I left the magazine, it was that idea of, okay, where to go next? And there were my peers at other magazines who were like, you were lucky to be able to be able to express yourself. There were folks toiling at magazines and folks of color toiling tirelessly at magazines that, that weren't getting credit or their voices, their contributions were, were taken in and sometimes absorbed in and someone else took credit for it or altogether ignored. So I suddenly realized the vantage point that I had, and that's really what I miss more about that time there, the idea that we could all go. The Vibe Stuff wasn't all predominantly Black. It reflected the streets of New York where the magazine's based. And to go into a conference room and you felt safe, bringing your background and your ideas and everything you knew and your opinions to a room and your voice was heard, that is what I hope we can get back to. Because well, I think... Well, okay, sorry. Well, I, I was going to say that in you saying this, what I'm recalling is that in many ways there was... There was representation on the editor side. There was some visible, there was visible executive. You mentioned visibility. Um, There were visible executive, at least to, you know, limited numbers of them. But there were at that time, I'm now, I'm wondering now, you know, we kind of move forward where the visibility in terms of influence continued. Certainly we continue to influence the trends and the styles that celebrities and that the the average person on the street um, continue to wear. But somehow our visibility and our influence was did continue to be diminished behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah. And, and, and so that's actually a, a recognition that I'm just um, I'm, I'm seeing as I'm speaking to you here. Yes. I think it's funny you're, t- you're t- uh, touching on that. But I also, again, let me pull it back a little further. I was in London working at The Gap. And I'll never forget this, working at The Gap on Oxford Street. The Gap had just gotten to London. And I then would run to the news agents around the corner to like buy a candy, what have you. And there was a magazine on the shelves and it was Vibe. And I remember it being the inaugural issue, the preview issue with, it was Tretch from Naughty by Nature on the cover. And it was shot by Albert Watson. Cover lines, is Tretch, Naughty by Nature or Nurture. LL Cool J bears his soul. Bobby Brown, Naomi Campbell sings the blues. There's also a line about white people who think they're black. I'm looking at this and reading it because it's literally the cover. It's on display in my apartment. And that issue cuts through everything else that was on the newsstands at the time. It also Mm -hmm. literally changed my life because I would run and secure an issue it would come out monthly or every two uh, two months when there was a double issue and my love for the culture that it showed me yes i was living in london and but i was born in new york and i it was a window into a world i did not know existed and that you'd hear the music three months later or the movie releases that at the time would come to london three months later so the idea that truly i can sit here saying that a magazine changed my life. Me wanting to know everything about it, me studying who created these fashion shoots, Emil Wilbekin, Michelangelo Davis, pouring over every detail is what brought me here. Suddenly, when I was moving back to New York, I was like, I read Time Out New York. I bought it because Naomi was on the cover. And they did a profile on Emil, A Day in the Life. And 
he was the market editor at Vibe at the time, and I literally pointed to the magazine. This is going to be in my movie. Like, oh, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And many years later, I ended up becoming the market editor at Vibe. Perfect. Confetti falls. Perfect. I accomplished my dream. But as as so suddenly, as you said, that then is what shaped and colored my perception of the industry going in. It was a fairy tale that I made true. And I then always felt that responsibility of like, listen, if I know that it changed me, the images that I saw, seeing Black people shot by fantastic photographers and not portrayed in one-dimensional one dimensional means, um, one-dimensional images where these things have history and reference and and so much layers behind it. I then, it was my duty if I was working there to do the same and to continue on with that. So that's really what I was trying to do. So going back to now the shows, I really don't have time to worry about whether you're not sitting in my seat or, oh, you put me in the third row rather than the second that I should deserve, or actually sometimes the first. I just love being able to be the emissary that was going out there to look at the shows that my peers were looking at and would interpret a different way, but I would interpret a different way because of the magazine I represented. I hope that kind of puts in perspective in terms of the era. And I think that, yeah, the idea that people and a lot of our, our current, the, in the current era, a lot of these folks work for publications that sometimes stifle their voices or dilute it or literally reappropriate it. <laughs> I think that's the part that sometimes is a little tricky for me when I see an idea that isn't fully realized or sometimes finding that, oh, you work there, but you don't have a voice. How unfortunate that must be. Well, actually, let's, let's, let's go back to this era. Let's yeah. go back to this era because in many ways, this, um, this reminds me of, um, of a bit that I saw on a recent CNN documentary where it was chronicling the 90s, the 90s television um, primarily and it was speaking about like the the early days of like in living color and Martin and like girlfriends and those living kind single. of shows, yeah, yeah. living single, like those kind of shows that primarily appeared on Fox first. Fox was sort of the the start of that. And I, it, the way that they the way that they positioned this or how they you know they really spoke about it was that this was an era because this these networks needed to find an audience. They use black people, they really use black people to build their audience and they therefore they allowed black creatives to do whatever they want. And what what those black creatives wanted to do was to be authentically black and to communicate to an authentic black audience. And there were really sort of unfeathered creativity that took place during this time. Yes. But as but um, more and more as that as the audience built and over time, both for Fox and the UPN network, as those audience built over time, they sort of moved away from that, from the black content. They moved away from that raw, truly, truly black centric content. And now, you know, now that their network was secure and now their network was solid and had, and had viewership. I thought that was such an interesting, you know, sort of analysis on that period. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but to apply it to the fashion space because we also came from this period of where there was the Honey magazine. Yes. There was Suede, obviously Boy, um, Trace. Vibe, Trace magazine. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Vibe, 
Vibe magazine was like the Bible, but there was a time where there were, I mean, and of course we have to understand that magazines full stop have gone the way off. I, I will definitely, I'll definitely recognize that. But however, I have to say that it seems like fashion used, you know, the black music culture in many ways for a certain cool and then sort of left it behind. Is that a fear assessment <laughs> or that's, is, that, is that a particular bias on my part? No, no, no. I do think there's a certain element when we, we uh, that, that, is, that rings true for sure. Like when we were working at Vibe, there was a feeling that, oh, you love this celebrity and you would dress them for the tour, but that's when they became a superstar. When we reached out to you to dress them for this, this shoot, and, and sometimes even afterwards, they'd be like, oh, no, you can't, we can't loan to you for, for that person or oh, come back to us in a few months' time. And then uh, literally sometimes a month later, the person blows up like, oh, ha- how can we contact this person? We'd like to send them a gift. And you're like, well. So there was that thing where they would ride on the popularity of, of Black just artists. And sometimes the, the artists, you can tell, were getting into bed with them. It's like, hey, if there's a check, there's a check. But then also there is that thing of like, oh, there's a feeling of making it and what have you. But they are all too quick. These brands are all too quick to move on to the next, on to the next. So would I go so far as to say it was just like, oh, intentional, let's use you, suck you dry, move on. Sometimes there was a partnership. I do remember well, was it Dolce that made clothes for Whitney? But let's not go too deep into Dolce because <laughs> we know where that, <laughs> that, that ended up. But I do think there's there's sometimes the partnerships are perfect and there's times you look and be like, okay, they're dressing them for that, what have you. But I, again, looking and seeing what you just mentioned about the way it was done, the people were allowed to be free to create so again, we can climb the chains and see who owned Vibe and, and the, the financial machinations that were going on up until its demise. Some have been written about, some hasn't. So the idea of who owned us really and who owned our voice were founded by Quincy, but at the end of the day, Quincy then didn't. And that's Quincy Jones you speak uh, of. Yes, yeah, sorry, I speak of him as if we're, we're friends. Quincy Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Quincy Jones changed my life. But I think that, the, all the people who then ended up owning Vibe and all of the conversations that then started coming around regarding budget and curtailing voice and the things that could be said and all of that, that's, again, we could get into this now, but we only have it. How long we've got? I think the idea that, and I, what I can say is just the idea where suddenly it's now no longer just this expression of, hey, you have the stage to do what you want, it then becomes black and white in the number sense. It becomes dollars and cents. It becomes, well, we can't afford this or the advertisers or you don't want to send the advertisers or this must be included. So suddenly that started to enter the space, which then diluted. Well, well hold, let me hold you a second, though, yeah. without, without getting into that kind of granularity, let, let, let's speak about more like a, a more general cultural influence. Like, for example, you know, we did a, Henrietta and I recently did an episode on Misa Hilton and um and the documentary that came out on her recently and it was it was so very telling and i think you know a lot of what was mentioned in that in that documentary has um has a place in this conversation and for example one of the one of the most glaring thing one of the most glaring influence is is that misa's 
Misa's um, uh, putting the, the logo on Salida Kim and starting that movement yes. back in that day. I mean, look at how logo, this was not something, let's say, that white people were doing um, before that time. This is something that is, is born out of black culture that has gone on to make many brands billions of dollars yes. just in that style direction alone. That's in the style direction alone. And meanwhile, Misa Hilton is in no annals of fashion. She's, she's, in, just, she's, she's just only getting her due. She, she hasn't been recognized. Her contribution has not been recognized. And I, and I, I think that's what, what I'm saying. At the time that, you know, at the time a, a certain number of Black people and Black publications like Vibe had a major, major influence on the culture, but it doesn't seem to have been codified it doesn't seem to have been recorded and that credit has never it has not been given to that community and to that point i think i definitely agree with you there i think that when you talk of little kim on the cover of interview styled by misa and and with the the vuitton logos all over her and then and the and the floral designs there's also i remember there was a issue of vogue it was actually yeah puffy and Kate Moss, and it was a couture uh, shoot, but it was shot by Annie Leibovitz. That was pretty much a vibe shoot for all I, I care to say. And then I remember there was also a music issue that Vanity Fair did, and they'll do them all the time, but Vanity Fair did, uh, it was almost like a hip-hop issue. And I remember there being Beyonce on the cover, if I remember correctly, but I remember poring over those pages and studying inside out the way they had more obviously money and access to these folks and they were shot over a certain period of time, stuff that maybe we didn't have. But going back to the influence, it is undeniable that our financial contribution and and cultural contribution has been taken in but then not acknowledged has been overlooked and i think that definitely with the reckoning that we have now if there is a point where folks are just exhausted are tired enough is enough and i do what i do love and how i do see that that's playing against this folks have seen that we have helped shape the culture that we have driven the bottom mm -hmm. line up I worked for a TV show where literally every time I'd pop my my uh, uh, clients in DVS, the numbers would go up. How did I know this? Because someone came to me at a cocktail party. It's like, oh, you, you're the stylist. They might not say it, but there's an increase in our sales every time you pop one of our dresses on her. So I think that there is that thing that is sometimes spoken of be behind the scenes, but for some reason, our presence, our culture, cultural contribution, our just financial contribution, our, our spending power is not acknowledged and hasn't been. Now, I think that that's the part that folks are now rightfully so saying in that. And now to that end, did you, did you think that reckoning in fashion was, was inedible? Or was there some sort of surprise for you by the sheer energy <laughs> of the movement? Definitely not a surprise. I think definitely not surprised. And it was for sure inevitable. I think there's only but so long you can hold folks down. And yeah, without there being some sort of, of reaction. I think that for me personally, having, as I said, when I left Vibe, it was a weird thing of like, okay, where next to go and what to do. And with folks battening down, right, breaking my doors down to come and snap me up. No, but, and that definitely wasn't, I didn't feel any way about it. It's just like, okay, hey, 
would I be able to have the same voice at another publication or what have you? So created my own kind of path out here, which I'm still doing, as you know. But I think that there's folks that came after me, folks that I helped shape their opinions and their ideas, and you set them out into the world and be like, hey, go see what you can do. And they come back saying, hey, essentially the equivalent of I ran into a wall. Hey, there was a ceiling. Let, let, let's let's talk about yeah. that actually let's let's talk about that wall and let's talk about that yeah. ceiling i i mean do you think that black's contribution in many ways has been disproportionately erased because they reach a ceiling they hit a wall and it's almost as though they they didn't exist and they didn't contribute i think there's a thing it's, where it's like if you don't maintain your presence and all that it's kind of like you then like folks get tired and walk away <laughs> Folks go on to other uh-huh. things, so folks don't. So I think that that tying all of this in is the idea where what I love about the energy of the the conversations with the kids now, and I say kids because everyone's a child when you're this age, but I do think there's something about they're not taking no for an answer. They're holding folks' feet to the fire and saying, "Hey, this is no longer acceptable." You've been doing this for how long? And just, again, there's a reckoning happening just in every sense of it. There's our society at large. And then all of the little silos, it's media, it's finance, it's politics, what have you, where these conversations are happening. And it's like, you know, uh, enough. And the question about the what next, we can all get into and, and still have these discussions about the what next. But I do think that, is it the idea that it isn't, that it's being erased if you do not write it down, if you do not record it, then folks, folks can't can't see it, can't reference it. So, well, that I think that, that actually takes me to, well, to, the, to well, the next point. Well, of, that takes me to my next point, well, of no, but huh? I do think I think it is that thing where I luckily, and you were one of those people when I was fresh going to Milan, you'd say, "Oh, well, you need to connect with Edward Edward Buchanan," and and. Obviously, when you were living in Paris, we made it a point of duty to, again, step away from the madness of the shows and there would be a caring, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Talking of what Meghan Markle mentioned the other day. Sometimes that's all it is. Qantas stepping out of the Karl Lagerfeld show and saying, okay, hey, I know you're running around, but just wanted to check in with you. Are you good? I think that I know that I've done that for folks going forward. But I then, by mentioning these names here, it is a record. Folks, you can either go look them up or not. But I think that same thing. I would hope that folks would would mention that I helped them along the way and essentially help keep my name alive. So whether it's written in the inside of a cave or a notebook or a tweet or maybe there's a library in the future, we have to keep the names of those who came before us alive, whether they choose to or not. Well, to, to that end, you know, you've recently launched your your website, which was which is quite impressive for me because in you you've styled Barack Obama for the cover of Vibe. You've styled Beyonce. Most recently, you've worked with uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Regina King for Mary Claire covers and so forth. Was this a case of you know owning your narrative? Was it a case of reminding the children, you know, from whence you came? Um, or was it a case of not resting on your laurels, you know? You know, b- break that down for me. Um, well, we can firstly take out the, the reminding the children. I think that it was, I've always been the person that I do a job. I love what I do. I do the research. And then I'm on to the next. 
literally a because of magazines you'd okay there was always something else happening you're having to produce the next one but then also just that's just the way i am i love the the thrill of the new and chasing up a new project and what have you so the downtime that we were all afforded because of the quarantine i and everyone was kind of figuring out what to do i'm a loner by heart um just my true nature i could be in a room by myself be for for days months and suddenly we were all forced to so i was kind of like from the breakneck pace we were all running around the world i was like what are you going to do whilst in these four walls as i look around them now perfectly tidy i might add i did a tidy last night but i think that i suddenly was like googling something and i ended up on pinterest looking for something that i'd done and then went on a deep pinterest dive I was like, oh, here's that. And oh my God, you did that. Oh, remember that? And it was funny seeing my work out there referenced and there were notes and folks were saying how much they love this or they used that as a reference for that. And sometimes I was credited and sometimes not. With the name Memsor Kamarika, there's many misspellings. So I've learned actually how to search for the misspellings, <laughs> the most common ones, and can sometimes see my work there. But it became this deep dive of hey, my work is scattered out there. And other than the times when I had agents and was represented, my work isn't out there in one place. So I just literally started dragging and dropping, dragging and dropping and, and compiling it. And suddenly the, the breadth of what I'd done kind of hit me. Uh, and let's just say, rather than it being for outwards and whoever enjoys it and goes and sees just as a history or as, hey, he can do that. But for me, it was more just an idea of let there be a record. Let there be a monument. And it was almost kind of like a reminder to self that, you know what? You've done the damn thing here. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that, I think, mm -hmm. was it. And I think what I love most about it is there is a thread that goes all the way through that shows my love for Black people, people of color, my, committed, my commitment to multicultural like you'll have all shades of black on mine there's no colorism here because i my parents are from Sierra Leone, west africa lived around the world black is beautiful in all its shades and i think but then also the multiculturalism there's puerto rican there's asian there's south asian there's all the different distinctions because for me i see beauty everywhere and then, like, the website is a veritable, like, graveyard of magazines gone by. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I didn't mm. put all of them in there, but it was the idea that, hey, who was going to style Spike Lee for the cover of Uptown? Hey, I'm available because I want to make sure that he looks his best. Hey, there's another, a, a cover of, of, I mean, I'm looking at this side now. There's so many other magazines. I'm not going to name check them all, but I always wanted to make sure that my people, whoever I put my head to and my hands on, that I was able to show an image of us looking our best. So that was yeah. really it. It was firstly just the idea of let me do it for me. And then everything else that followed was, was an added benefit. And there, there, you know, there's a there's a cadre instead of a new cadre of of black talents that are that are industry that are in this industry um, that are getting quite quite many accolades, especially in this in this period of reckoning. Now, in this 
perceived mad dash to to rep- represent black talents across the across the industry on different projects and in companies are you feeling are you feeling that they're coming your way and are you feeling that your network of black professionals are getting that kind of attention based on the level of discussions and 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 spotlights that's placed on this issue around representation in the industry well i think um Regarding representation in the industry, I, I think, as you know, that the cries for, okay, equality and making sure that, that we're leveling the playing field, the, obviously for you and I, we've, we know we've had those cries, but they're louder, stronger, and there's now definitely a movement. I think that the idea of there being immediate results is something that we need to definitely shy away from, mm. because I do think that movements take time. I think that if we run up, like definitely, as I said, you need to raise your voice, you need to shout, you need to protest. And you don't obviously run against the gates and then, oh, it didn't work, let's all drop our tools. There's going to be finding ways to to get in, around, through, under these walls that have taken time to build. Do you know what I mean? The exclusion of us mm-hmm. on these runways or these sewing rooms or the ad campaigns and all that is a concerted effort. Of, of of neglect that in itself will take some time to undo. So I do think that mm-hmm. the question of, am I getting the calls? Like, is my phone now suddenly ring, ringing off the hook because I am black and I am in fashion? I'm definitely... And you're, and you're a seasoned and professional. I'm seasoned and I'm talented. I'm quite handsome. Uh, do you know what I mean? All of those things? No, for sure. Definitely <laughs> not to the extent that I would want it to be. That said, and it actually ties back to the the website the idea of whether it's social media old school new school however you want to use this twitter instagram the idea of telling your own story is important and then Mm. you then see what the the rewards are i know that my website has paid for itself 10 times over i've gotten jobs and have a few things already lined up for the new year and that's me without ringing a bell you know i'm not one for much on social media to the best (laughs) as the best as, as as good as i should be right but i do think that i've definitely noticed there's been an uptick and one would hope i remain hopeful that those who are at the forefront of the movement the lindsay Lindsay Peoples-Wagner and Sandrine, who I adore, and all of the other organizations, whilst they're striving to make change, one would hope that when they go into these uh, companies and do the assessments and and suddenly are like, hey, let's make recommendations of who can fill these positions, who can do that job, that they would reach beyond the immediate kids who are working and the other marquee names and go back to places and names such as myself, John Moore, and people who are a little more seasoned and I'm actually funny enough doing a job on Friday where suddenly the idea that the talent needed someone who could, dare I say, handle their personality, but still get the job done. And my name was brought up and I was booked for it. That at least shows me that folks are paying attention to what I think I've always done, which is just remain consistent, remain authentic and yeah. And true. And, and generally speaking, do you think black professionals in the industry have risen to the occasion in addressing the magnitude um, of the moment um, that demands us being seen and heard? Do you, you, you feel that that's going on? I feel as if that's still a work in progress. I think the idea that that there's something where it's like, listen, you can, it's all too easy to fire off a tweet or post something on Instagram, get the likes and, and yeah. 
start the fire, but then you now have to manage the fire. And the idea of these positions of leadership, where it's like, hey, you stepped forward, now you must lead. It is tiresome work. It requires more of you than, okay, hey, it's now not as easy as just a tweet, as we have understood from some of our leaders that we've now pushed out, that sometimes the work is more than just the tweet or just the, the cute outfit on Instagram. It actually requires you making the list. It requires... That's a, sorry. That's a great observation, actually, because we, you know, we, have, we did an episode on that. We did an episode on Black leadership um, on this podcast. And it was my position. Henrietta was a bit more uh, sanguine about it, if you will. But I was quite clear that I thought that there was a dearth of leadership in this industry. While there's, a, there's, there's no lack of energy um, calling for change, I, I just felt that there were not people, essentially talents, professionals in the wings that could step up to that challenge and really steer, uh, steer this industry, at least in relations to, to the issues of people mm. of color that needed. I felt that that was, uh, that, that was lacking. And I, I hear you. I hear you on, you know, this is a work in yeah. progress and it'll take time to play out. So I, 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 I appreciate that. that because way. even our leaders, again, leaders in other, other fields um, and, and leaders gone of the time gone by, like Martin wasn't fully until he, you develop into it. And I do think that sometimes, and I, but Martin Luther King, I'm talking, uh, obviously, there's, there's leaders of, of, of movements that sometimes you get more seasoned as you, you go along. And I definitely know that the one or two folks that I've spoken to, because I am a sounding board, folks reach out to me. I'm always a, a call away on email away. And the conversations that are happening where I try to give my advice and then they have to go out to make their own decisions. It is that thing where you suddenly realize that folks are like, whoa, maybe I did bite off a little more than I could chew. I, do, I can't do that and maintain my own company at the same time. This is a whole full-time job. So you try to offer help where you can or try to help them get the help that they need where they can. But I say they in terms of the leaders. We are all in this together. And I think that Absolutely. for me, it is one of those things where I would hope that as we're building this, we look back and we respect the architects. Uh, not June. Misa uses that as her hashtag all the time, but it comes from a vibe shoot the way I, I credited her and June. And we ended up throwing Kite Brewster in there. But I remember that we were trying to get Groovy Lou at the time, who if folks don't know who Groovy Lou is, one of the most stylish people that I think I know. And had wanted to shoot him for vibe and just kind of doffing our hat saying, hey, you guys paved the way. And then also being able to swivel your head and look forward at Gabriella Karifa Johnson and, and, and those folks who are holding up the vanguard now, the Tyler Mitchells. But who was beyond them? We can't look backwards at those folks. You can't look forward and then beyond them and then start not stay in the present and say, well, I too have stuff to contribute. So, and, and me and my, my peers have voices as well. So whilst maybe our, call, our, our phones aren't ringing off the hook, we also have to recommit ourselves to the idea of the collective and saying, hey, whilst maybe our time we were looked over or swept over, what can we now do that the movement is happening? Because we now still have life in our, our body, breath in our bones. So we can't now just sit and leave it up to them specifically, so to speak, the kids. Well, speaking to that, speaking to that, you recently styled and co-produced a series of films for the organization uh, in the black. 
And I thought that was a timely, a timely response where it's showing black creatives working in, in collaboration. Now, tell me about your work with, with that, with that organization and, and, and our responsibility to do for ourselves. (laughs) Thank you for actually mentioning that because it's one of the, the projects I've worked on that has, well, first of all, it challenged me to, to pieces, but it's one of the pieces I'm most proud of. And what it was is a, it started from a conversation on WhatsApp, a group of, of black creatives. It started mostly designers and then they looped in stylists and, and people across different disciplines. And we all just were having conversations and it was during, during COVID time. So we would, it suddenly moved on to Zoom calls. So it was Zooming every Friday and just talking about the state of the industry and what we wanted to do and what our response would be or if we needed to have a response and all the different councils were forming and and how to demand change. And I think that what we definitely wanted to underline was just this solidarity that across the group chat, there are folks in in Sweden and in Nigeria and some folks in London and Edward in Milan. So the idea that you had this community on this one group chat, but the idea that we are this global community and this lattice work that kind of weaves across where it's like, oh, do you know that person? Do you know this person? Oh, wait, you, sh- you should know that person. Or, oh, I can't believe you haven't met that person, which coincidentally, that's how you and I met. You, <laughs> again, I know I tend to, but I'd walk into a room and people were like, oh, Jason just left when I first moved to New York. He's like, you don't know Jason yet? I was like, no. And when I finally met you, it was like, ah, because of you, I am. No shade. Because seeing you as a black man existing in this space and expressing yourself and not afraid to be different and still to this day, let me know I can do it. But I digress. Let me come back. I suddenly was this, it was this beautiful conversation happening on, on the Zoom chats. And then we suddenly decided to contribute to a project where it's like, listen, how do we show ourselves? How do we make a declaration that we want to build something that does not rely necessarily on the frameworks of old? that we can have a chat on WhatsApp mm-hmm. and, and two seconds Virgil is part of the chat. You can say an idea in two seconds, Virgil has a, a ad campaign, a, a t-shirt and a website. And you're like, wait, well, we weren't thinking of that idea. And two seconds later, you'll have another something as he works at a rapid pace, but not just a marquee name. We have design students from RISD, Fisayo Kudari, who, who she contributed, uh, she's a student and contributed, contributed a, a beautiful outfit to one of the films we're doing. But, what we decided to do was five fashion films shot in London, Lagos, uh, Los Angeles, and we did two in New York. New York, New York. Yeah, so nice we named it twice. And what happened was it was just an idea of reaching out to Black creatives, directors, to come up with concepts, movies that kind of just showed our beauty, that showed our strength, that showed our resilience. And obviously using the clothes from the designers in the collective to outfit the characters that they came up with. And doing all of that in a global pandemic, (laughs) I can assure you was (laughs) challenging. But I think what powered me through, and I worked with with the uber-talented stylist, uh, Day Samuel, on it. We co-collaborated in co-collaborated in in costume designing all the movies it was the idea that as we moved city to city in our minds because obviously due to travel restrictions we couldn't go to all of these places i ended up going to to los angeles but we worked with with creatives in 
Lagos remotely and in London remotely. It was WhatsApp. It was Zooms. It was fittings at awful hours of the morning because of time difference. It was finding ways to communicate. Some folks are more texting. Some folks are more visual. Some people like myself like pen and paper. And and it was easier to just take a picture of that and send it across. But it was just this awakening and of an awakening of creativity and going back to that first question where it's like going to the shows and being in that environment, there's a spark of creativity that happens when, when we all collide and our energies collide. And yes, we've been robbed of that. So it was nice to suddenly feel that whilst we're all isolated in our separate rooms and siloed off. So talking to Pat in Lagos, who was our stylist there and Ademola and Denis, who was uh, the producers of the Lagos movie. And they came up with something fantastic and fun. And flying out to LA and working with director Numa Perrier, who literally, from the moment I saw her on the Zoom, I felt drawn to her. And now we chat literally every other day. And the idea that you can still make these connections over this cold, seemingly yeah, icy technology, that for me was the beauty. And then also the sh- the fact they were able to showcase just models of different different skin tones and sizes and and just showing the beauty in, in it all and then showcasing literally what it comes down to the clothes and the beauty and the creativity of the designers so being able to work across all these disciplines for me what i found it it reinforced what was always my earliest commitment which was like hey you have a talent how to throw it in the collective pot again the african and me the parents from Sierra Leone always had you look for the larger. It's not, you're not, yes, you are an individual. And I think that I definitely am proudly, fiercely individualistic, but I also love the idea that I'm building and throwing and contributing my talents towards a a larger collective vision. And this, these movies helped illustrate that where again i'm not going to paint it as it was all so totally rosy but i think the idea that we were all able to create something outside of the normal systems and then we ended up debuting at paris fashion week on on online but the idea that we were able to kind of drop the way that we were raised in this fashion industry where we're supposed to treat each other as foes not share each other's mm. collections or not talk amongst us or not talk about our disappointments or our failings or our lack of money or what have you. The idea that we're, we're able to create this stands as a testament to, hey, maybe we're starting to undo the damage we were taught. And I think that the one caution, going back to one of the earlier questions, is you cannot now try to build a new, a new system and a new organization or a new world order, there I say, in the the echoes of the the last one that you literally just tore down, I think, I think that's the one thing I do. <laughs> we have yeah, we have spoken about it in this in this in this forum. Not replacing one toxic work environment with another toxic yes. work environment. It doesn't matter who is helming it. We're looking for a, a different. different yeah. We're looking for a different format in this age. Now. In all in all of that, you just illustrated all you did um, in the production of these films and styling and so forth. Where do you find the joy? Where is your joy in this industry? Your black boy joy, I dare say. <laughs> <laughs> is that so cliche? Did I say that? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's very cliche. 
<laughs> yeah, that's um, not my usual way, but I'll I, go with it. And, and I hope folks can can hear this. Literally, I always have a uh, laugh in my heart. And even through the hard times, I think obviously culturally as black folks, we are conditioned to be, be as such, but not to the point of covering up the points where it's like, hey, there have been disappointments, there have been moments along this journey, career, life-wise, that have been like, oh, yeah, enough to knock the wind out your sails. But you, you pause, you regroup, and I've always literally had joy. I can access my joy. I realize that's a blessing. Not everyone sometimes can recognize it, let alone access it, but it's always been right there. It's gotten me through the hard times. I left home when I was 16. So I think that I've had to find the joy in unexpected places. But it also is that thing where it's like, as you said, the industry that we work in sometimes does provide it, but I bring a fair amount of my own. <laughs> and, and, and what's the forecast? What is the, the forecast on this industry as you, as you see it? I think the industry as I see it now is definitely a time of flux, but I, it's something I've, I've, it's become a mantra of, of late. I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful that, that with guidance, the leadership will emerge and will take us where we need to go. And I'm talking that as people of color. I, I remain hopeful that the allies, because it's not just about us, it's the allies on the other side, uh, continue the work. It's not like, hey, let me post a black tile, let me print a few t-shirts, and every February, let me cry Black Lives Matter and then keep it moving. It's a continuous conversation. The world of which we knew is now forever gone, one would hope. So let's not return back to that. Let's not rush back to it. And I, again, as I said, with joy in my heart, sun streaming through my windows, I remain hopeful that we will get to a place where our contributions, our uh, financial and, and, and cultural will no longer be a, a ignored and that we'll build a world, a fashion world that reflects the larger world on the outside. Definitely full of fantasy, full of joy, but making sure that we all, well, basically we all have a seat at the table. That's not, now that's not a cliche for me. But that's what we're asking for. That's what that is. What's on that's what's on the table. And so repeating that is 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 apt. Memzor, I, I we talk all the time. This isn't a different. This is same, same, but same, different. Same, different. So, so I. Tell me now. I could have. Uh. <laughs> no, you 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 could have. You could have <laughs> for sure. But yes, this certainly has the spirit. This certainly has the spirit of our some of our usual conversations. You know, I you know, I try to maybe quiet <laughs> quiet some of it down because you and I can cackle and cackle, and the audience we need for him to hear. So I had to. I had to hold that same way that I end all of our conversations. It's like inspired. Definitely thought provoking. I'm going to obviously ruminate about things I could have said or what have you, but I think the gist of it really is this it's like I am ending it with a smile on my face, grin ear to ear because of the interaction with you. And I think that hopefully this sparks something in, in someone out there listening. I'm also available, memsa.com. My email is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, put that out there. This, M- this M- is, I mean, but. 
much of this era, much of this reckoning era is about, and I've said it in this forum, is about employment. About employment. <laughs> like, <laughs> at the end of the day, we could be having all these conversations here, there, and everywhere, but wouldn't it be fantastic that, again, we talk of Edward, Edward Buchanan and he seeing his face as one of the designers at Harper, uh, not sorry, Harper, seeing his face in Harper's Bazaar as one of the direct of uh, the designers at Bottega Veneta years and years and years ago, suddenly just literally put a pin in the place where it's like, oh, you can do that to all of the millions of black girls, people of color, uh, girls of color who are seeing a Kamala and saying, okay, that ceiling has been cracked. We can do that. So I think that it's the taking everything we've said now and saying that, hey, hopefully we all can collectively put our energies towards moving the whole culture forward. And so hopefully we can look back at these conversations of like, oh my God, remember back in those ancient times? So that suddenly what comes forward is something new, something that is inspirational to more than just you and I is on a larger scale. So I think that I, I always end our conversations really hopeful and no more so than, than this one. Well, I definitely appreciate your optimism <laughs> and certainly your, certainly your time. And thank you so much for weighing in on these issues, these very important issues, and also for telling your fantastic, fantastic history um, in this industry. I, and, and that's what this series uh, is about. I, we're going to be hearing from other talents who have contributed to this industry over a period of time and certainly has a, a great perspective on where we currently are and, and, and where we may end up. So thank you thank so much again, Memzor.